Today's episode of the Ryan Rosillo Show on the Ringer Podcast Network is brought to you by State Farm. Just like basketball, the game of life is unpredictable. Talk to a State Farm agent and get a teammate who can help you navigate the unexpected. Unexpected like a really exciting end to an NBA All-Star game. I had been out on the All-Star game probably a decade plus. Unwatchable. Not mad about it, though. I accepted for what it was. But um, last year I had to watch it because Bill was like, hey, let's do an All-Star game pod. I was like, awesome. No. And then this year I went to Chicago, had a great time, and had a great time watching something unpredictable from a bunch of NBA stars. Maybe the 10 best players in the world closing that game out. Luke is better than Chris Paul right now, but didn't it feel like Chris Paul still was one of the best 10 players? You're like, damn it, Ryan, you're just right about this Chris Paul thing. And there's nothing we can do about it. Get a teammate like Chris Paul who can help you navigate the unexpected. Talk to a State Farm agent today. I didn't even do the Chris Paul State Farm tie-in. I didn't even do that. I didn't even do it on purpose. Although Oscar, who plays a State Farm agent, um, he was maybe just as rough as Pam as an office character. I'm workshopping some stuff right now, but there's really nothing better than the smart guy that's probably not fulfilling his career goals and works in your office or your warehouse or wherever. And he's just really, really smart, well-read, and he corrects you all the time. And you're like, hey, big, big brain, maybe you'd be uh, somewhere else other than Dunder Mifflin. Okay. Today's guest, we go 90 minutes deep with Colin Cowherd from Fox Fox Sports, FS1. He is, I believe, as good as anyone I've ever heard do solo radio. Solo radio is the hardest. We're going to talk about all that stuff, whether or not he feels like he's going to be a jerk, knowing going into the opinion. We even dip our toe into politics, which I can't believe we did. Have an open mind. You won't, some of you. Um, and that's what we're going to do. So here is Colin Cowherd. Okay, we had talked about doing this for a while, and uh, and here we are at my my estate here. Your in secluded our, grotto. Yeah. <laughs> we both live here. It was funny because, you know, running into you the other day, just walking around, you're like, it's such a small little town. And yet here we are. We're neighbors. We hang, we hang, we see each other more now than we did when we were both in West Hartford. Yeah. I just, a buddy of mine came over for dinner last night and he's staying in Santa Monica. And I said, Santa Monica is a city. You have hotels. Like Manhattan Beach has about four restaurants I go to and the, the shade is a hotel, but it's really a beachy town like Pismo Beach, Manhattan Beach. Santa Monica's got like, you know, like double trees. And yeah, yeah, this totally is different. a, basically there's one little area that guys like you and I get a coffee or a cocktail. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great place to live, but it's, you know, it's not a metropolis. No, and honestly, it's it's a little different now from when I first used to start hanging out here because it's like, I'm almost, I'm almost not a fit. <laughs> so guys are like, hey, why don't you take your act down to Hermosa? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's, I'm... You know, in my business, I have to be repetitive. And I think I kind of am a repetitive thinker. So I'm comfortable with oatmeal for breakfast, workout it. You know, I have the same life uh, cocktail at 515. You know, I'm pretty boring. <laughs> I, Carissa Thompson once told me, she goes, you know, I like Manhattan Beach, but I just, I felt a sense of sameness. I feel security in that. You know, I like marriage. I like going home. But I could see if I was young, attractive, single guy, Thank you'd be you. like, I've been to this bar before. This is Groundhog Day. Yeah, but see, I needed, I needed uh, routine. And honestly, my routine has never been more different. Like my routine, like we, when we were in Connecticut, like how long were you in your slot? 11 years? Yeah. 
11 years. I was there almost 10 years. Yeah. And that was actually driving me crazy. I go, when I first started up that Monday through Friday thing, I had been in this kind of three-year run of, of never having any routine and liking not having routine. Right. And then I had so much routine and being in Connecticut. And I was never anti-Connecticut the way I know a lot of, I, you were probably more, I remember the first time you did the, the airport rant. I was like, oh man, he might be onto something. Um, <laughs> but I never had, thought about airports until I lived in Connecticut. Yeah. Never thought about an airport mattered. And I got to Connecticut and there was no flights direct west. It's like buzzkill. Yeah. Not great. But you know, I don't, I think people always kind of look like whenever they ask you about it, they always want to be like, well, what's it like now post ESPN? And how do you feel? And I don't even know if that's what I want to do for the next hour plus that we hang out here. But um, I liked it. It was 10 years of my life. It was a chapter. I feel like my 20s, I was out of college in Vegas. That was a real experience. I moved to Vegas and boxing was the biggest thing in the world. 30, I have my kids. I'm growing up. I'm starting to eye doing bigger stuff than local. 40s. ESPN. I'm a bean at Starbucks. 50s, I transition to Fox. Like, I'm, I'm okay. I think I'm much less selfish now and self-absorbed now as I've aged. I'm more, you know, just You hope so, right? Right. I mean, imagine well, if it went the other way. Yeah, I hope I'm not judged for a tweet 32 years ago. <laughs> um, but it, I've, I've really, you know, I always say I'm not a victim of my reputation. Like, the decisions I made at 27 uh, as stupid as they were, they felt right to me at the time. That's the decision I was capable of making in my life. So, you know, I've done things I re regret, but I don't look back at any part of ESPN and think I was treated poorly. You know what? Uh, every contract I signed, I was good for. I have great relationships. I've met, like you, I've met lots of people that have, have extended relationships in my life. I have no hard feelings with anybody there. None. Yeah, I, I always like, you know, everybody always wants to ask you about the ESPN thing, like who was the worst, who was the worst? And I go, you know, the funny thing is I find, I look back on it and go, there's way more people that I really like. Oh, yeah, That of I course. went through it than, you know, it's not like this this thing where you're surrounded with people that you you don't like. You had a better run at it there than I did, though. They, they liked you a hell of a lot more than they liked me. Well, I remember entry points everything. So I came in replacing a wildly popular guy. So they had to invest in me, Tony Kornheiser. You came in, you didn't have this big show where, I mean, <laughs> no, exactly. I mean, that's, they literally, that's it, right? they were billing 12 million. It couldn't fail. Yeah. So it's like support Colin. And so your entry point in a building matters a lot, right? So when I come to FS1, everything. Yeah. I'm like, oh, I'm like the Berman of my network. Like Skip and I are like, this has got to work. Or the first run of FS1 didn't, this has to work. Or is Rupert going to say, I'm done with it, Right. So you only get so many runs at a cable entity and, and maybe they, you know, so it had to work. And so I always feel like I can remember going to Tampa. Uh, so in, in Vegas, I was the number one guy in Portland. I was the number one guy, ESPN and Fox. I've gone in as a pretty important position in Tampa. I just went in as a weekend guy and I can remember, and, and again, no ill will battling for everything. Uh, if free stuff came down the pike, good assignments, travel, you didn't get any of it. It wasn't because they didn't like me, but you know, it's almost like Ryan, let's say we were baseball players and you get signed. You're a, you're a first round draft pick and you're kind of struggling. I'm a 13th round draft pick. I have a killer spring. They're still calling you up because they got more invested in you. Right, and, and if I flame out, another team can't wait to see if I can make it work with them because I was the first rounder. It's it's perfect. As right. a thirteen rounder, right. I'm get I gotta I gotta play my way into a September call up. I yeah. have to hit four hundred, 
And so I, I feel that way. You're, you're kind of like a baseball player. Where were you drafted? You're just going to get more chance as a first or second round guy. And that's why, you know, whenever we kind of talk about, like, I think about that lineup with Mike and Mike, you, Van Pelt, and I, and you're like, whoa, like looking back on that, you yeah. go, that's, that's a pretty incredible lineup. Yeah. And maybe we didn't even realize it at the time. Um, and Mike and Mike was billing. Like, I remember like, how much do those guys make? And then wow. you'd hear about it and it would make the rounds because it's just what happens. We all find out about how much everybody else is making. Right. And there would always be a little bit of animosity when somebody got like a ton of money. And I like both those guys. So I want them to hear me out here on this. But it would be like, oh, wait, they're billing 75 million. Like, well, they should probably make more. But then I, I don't know if it's an ESPN specific thing. I don't know if it's a I think it's probably more of an industry thing than it is anything specific with ESPN. It would be, oh, yeah, you're billing that much because you're on our air for four hours. And if yeah. we put somebody else in there. So I always find like management versus talent. I'm not quite because sometimes I can understand where management's coming from being like, we're the ones that gave you the opportunity. But then I do think that there's this tier one, which is not a big group, that it's like there's guys that are talking now and there's not many that can deliver no matter where they're at. And they become like, I actually think that person has become even more valuable despite all the competition and how much the industry's changed. Well, yeah. I mean, years ago, uh, Bob Wright ran NBC. And um, I re remember hearing this. They were talking about how the nightly news with Tom Brokaw, uh, they had lost a lot of their audience as cable was becoming more powerful. And Bob Wright's comment was, can I still sell you as many trucks at Ford or Chevy? If the answer is yes, I'm not trimming my rates. I don't care what my audience has done. My AM radio numbers may slightly erode. 15 years ago, I didn't have 88 million podcast listens a year. Last year, I had 334 million Facebook views. I am way more consumed and monetized today than I've ever been. I mean, when I got in this business, you got an, a sheet at the end of this quarter. Here's how many people listen to you on AM. I now have an AM, an FM, an XM series, a podcast, a cable, a YouTube, a Twitter. We monetize all of them. So even though I'm a member of iHeartRadio and FS1, it's the best I've ever been treated. It's the happiest I've ever been. I kind of look at it as I'm a voice. And can my two companies just monetize me as much as they can? And then I get a percentage of it. I, it. It's not like I'm not part of a team, but really it's, can you sell my voice on as many possible platforms as possible? And that doesn't mean I, I don't think of myself as a team member at FS1, but if I got laryngitis, I'm useless, right? Like the voice and how my, it's really more important to me that I make myself available to my audience, my advertisers, my bosses, to try new platforms because, you know, we know cable has an erosion issue, right? Yeah. So how do I replace that monetization on what platform? So YouTube, by the way, my company actually, FS1 Fox, makes more per YouTube subscriber than per cable subscriber. That's crazy. So I, in, in my world, yeah. I'm hoping my YouTube audience explodes as much as my FS1 audience. I would always push back on the Facebook thing because I always think all their numbers are fake. All their other numbers are fake. <laughs> I mean, they're they're just, Vladimir's right, people. No, I mean, it was just insane because like, I remember like guys at ESPN be like, oh, I had 2 million views on my video. And we're like, no, you didn't. 2 million people logged in. <laughs> <laughs> um, I don't understand any of it. Right, right. Uh, I guess the, like I was talking to somebody about TV ratings this morning and 
you know, we were talking about like whether or not the NBA, because it was something Simmons and I had talked about. The All Star got good numbers. All Star got good numbers, but like if the NBA just said, "Hey, screw it, let's move our schedule from Christmas until into August," that's what I always thought. Just dominated because you can see everybody's trying to figure out like, "Hey, there's this one land grab left," and to see six weeks in July and August, and that's why you have these basketball tournaments and everybody's going like, "Look, let's get a product out there." But then there's numbers. There's a counter to that that says televisions that are actually on during those stretches because a lot of people are traveling. Then yeah. The numbers go all the way down. But like my counter to that would be. You could have a housing crisis, but there's still going to be a place that's still most the desirable to live in a housing crisis. There still has to be a place that's still the most desirable. So if your overall raw number isn't what you'd expect it to be for six weeks of NBA games, couldn't you still argue that your share is beyond anything because you have zero competition nationally? And that's where I think like some of our numbers, like I remember getting beat over the head about Van Pelt and I's A&M numbers. And it was it was really weird because we, you, know, you and I were right in it as it was all changing. Right. And Scott and I had great digital numbers, but nobody knew what the hell was going on. That just comes that, to, well, affiliates, a lot of times you just need clearance. It's not your yeah. fault. And so you're going, hey, you know, you're not doing great in Portland. And we're like, what? And they were like, how are we doing on the stream? And like, you're actually the most streamed radio show on the network. Yeah. You're on the afternoon, you trend a little younger. Right. Oh, your podcast is great, but nobody cares. And you just go, we were caught, you know, you get caught in this well, middle thing. Well, they care about podcast yeah, numbers they, now. They certainly do now. But I, I look at all these things as, Yes, it seemed like the rights fees for, for live sports are through the roof and you can compare ratings year to year. But if everything else is getting crushed because of streaming and all these new, like in five years, we're going to go, oh, that was what you should have done. Like we're in this real gray area of trying to navigate through it all. Yeah. I mean, I was texting or not texting. I was emailing with Mark Cuban about three weekends ago. Oh, that was casual. And um, do you see him when he's going to place out of here? Huh? I don't. I never have. But he's a guy. If I have a question, you know, I just email Mark. He's got his. It's out there. I Wikipedia Mark Cuban's email. It was there. That apparently was his thing forever. Is he just and he, replied and email, to everybody's emails? And I we disagreed on everything, and it was okay. But it was really civil. Let me defend the NBA here. So the NFL's always been Italian food. Everybody kind of likes it. You never met a guy who's like oh, can't do pizza. I'm so mad it took us 12 minutes to get to a food analogy, but go ahead. Okay, then the NBA is more Mediterranean or sushi. I love it, but people are, if you don't like fish. Yeah, right. I grew up next to a cannery. You grew up in Maine. Or Martha's in, in, Okay, yeah, so close, we grew up, MA. you just ate fish. I went to college. Guys were like, oh, I can't take the smell of it. The NBA is a little like that. It's, it's never going to be everybody's favorite. You like it or you don't. So people that don't like the NBA, are going to find ways, confirmation bias. Absolutely. Oh, the ratings are terrible. All you need to know is this. If it was on the market today, everybody would bid on it. It doesn't matter if it's down 22%. Some of it's red herring. Mark Cuban's like, we're on cable. Well, I'm on cable. I'm up. Carson, T Tucker Carlson's on cable. Monday Night Football is exclusively on cable. They're up. So a little bit of it's a red herring. I do think it hurts that majority of their games are only on cable. Um, I think it was a strange year for the NBA. Zion got hurt. Durant got hurt. The Warriors dynasty imploded. Uh, and Kawhi is a star, but doesn't talk. So a lot of that is, but the second thing to defend the NBA, here's why the numbers to me are down. It's the best NFL season story-wise of my life. The crappy teams were fascinating. Cleveland was fascinating. I mean, I know as a consumer, I would get up, Ryan, I wanted to watch Browns games. Forget Mahomes, who was great. Lamar. The NBA got hurt because October, November, December, January, 
the NFL just had better stories. And you can't keep watching games all weekend long and then turn to your wife. You watch Thursday and then Sunday and then Monday and go, hey, Tuesday night, baby, I'm going to watch the NBA game. She's like, uh, no, we're watching Netflix. Okay. <laughs> or yeah. we're going out. Right. So when people don't like something, it's confirmation bias. So the NBA, the numbers are down. They're fine. By the way, the All-Star game's up. They will have, in my prediction, a very nice next three months. You know the Clippers-Lakers is going to get a monster number. Milwaukee-Boston in the East is going to get a very healthy number. The If it was up, if it was available on the market, I mean, I'm not going to speak for my bosses at Fox. If the NBA comes up in four years, we're not going to bid on it. Listen, man, it's a battle for content. It is, I mean, Bill Simmons just sold his company for what? Barstool sold theirs. Those are content grabs. The, LeBron's not going to sell. Giannis is not the Celtics, Lakers. So I think people, I like the NBA. I go home now when the football season ends. I watch NBA now, at, probably every night. You watch even more than I do. The league's fine. I also am open to anything except for, like, there's been a few things because everybody's throwing a million theories out. But I was talking to somebody at the league last week and I said, you know what I'm going to do? I got to see like two plus years of a downward trend yes. before I'm even convinced that it's actually a real thing. Like, could it be a blip? And it, those you know, people are like, oh, you're just like the NBA. You're no, no, I'm, I'm anti coming to a million conclusions when we're not even sure if it's real yet. Because just two years ago, what were we hearing about the NFL? That it was over. That the run was, it was too woke. The Kaepernick thing. And okay, you know, people are sick of this thing. And, it, and honestly, now we look back and we're like, oh, it's a little blip. And now, you know, concussions you know, all, all the social stuff that turns off a lot of people. Um, I got to, I need more data here. I need more of a long-term trend than the first half of the NBA season before I'm ready to say that this is some kind of damaged product. I'm Listen, just not there yet. Maybe it is, but we don't have enough information. Here's another thing. How long have newspapers been eroding? 30 years? New York Times is crushing it. Wall Street Journal is crushing it. I'm on Bloomberg News every day. Big Bloomberg guy. Yeah, it's like people still read newspapers. Now, there's been a flight to quality. I mean, Warren Buffett's like, yeah, I made a bad investment. But cable's slowly eroding. Well, I can't give up cable. I like college football. <laughs> I'm not giving up cable. I want to watch every time Oklahoma, Texas, Georgia, Alabama, USC, Oregon plays. I got to watch the games. So you can have eroding. Let's say the NBA is slightly eroding. Is it still not fun to watch? Is it going away? The arenas are packed. You, you have teams like Oklahoma City that are, that have lost three stars. Can't get any tickets. Yeah. They're completely energized. I was in Utah a month ago. I watched Utah and Portland. Couldn't get a seat. They were seated 25 minutes before the game. The food was great. The energy was great. The game was amazing. The players were incredibly likable. Dame, uh, Gobert, Ingles. I, I'm sitting there with my daughter and my stepson. And I'm like, how great is this? I mean, it was just an incredible night. So let's say the NBA does a road 3% a year for the next five years. So what? It, you're telling me it's not going to work? You'd have to tell me what am I, what are they being replaced by? Because then that's the whole point. It's like back to our AM thing. We're like, hey, your AM ratings are down. Okay, but what, what does that really mean? Because that doesn't mean by, people don't listen the, to you. By the time my run was done at ESPN, no one brought up an AM number in the last like year and a half. No, it doesn't Because they mean, knew eventually like, oh, wait, that's not really what we yeah, should be looking people at. People are now listening yeah. to you on this podcast. It's, right. My thing is, does my voice matter in sports? I believe it does. To the degree you can sell it. Okay, whether I think- How I'm many great, guys do you think are at your level in the business? Oh, uh, in, in the opinion space? Yeah. It's a short list. 
<laughs> Who do you even consider? You know, I don't. Uh, <laughs> this sounds so jerky. No, I want you to be as arrogant as possible. No, no. <laughs> okay. Um, I would say. You're not telling me to get you a pen, I've noticed. Um, I have reached a point where, I, and I really believe this, and I think you'll reach a point this with your writing. Because you're now you're embarking on this career now and you're being paid a lot of money to write. Yeah. At first, when you get into broadcasting or writing, you're like, ah, I'm going to I'm going to catch that guy. And all of a sudden, what happens when you're near the front of the marathon? It's not about catching anybody. It's about, oh, I ran the last marathon in 208. I got to go 204. All I care about is that morning meeting or we I can tell if my show is finely tuned. So as you write, there are probably a couple of guys out there. You're like, oh, I'm better than him. And about three years, you're going to write. And you're like, you know what, man? I am way better than me. Like that's what I think about in the morning isn't catching anybody. I made it. I, 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 if I could retire tomorrow, I got way farther than I thought. Yeah. The writing thing, I would, I would push back on that and that I haven't read a ton of people where I'm like, oh, I'm way better than this guy. I mean, there's, there's times I've read something where I go, this isn't good. And then your first thought is like, well, I guess I can do this. But then again, like I wouldn't get into broadcasting and see the one terrible person and go, I'm better than him. I'm going to go crush it. But you've developed a style as a broadcaster now. Right. And that's what I think was different. Because like I, whenever I'm asked about you, because like. Are you this, a lot? <laughs> is that like, like a, my dad right you're now. at Nick's right now my and dad, some guy comes up? My dad used to do this thing with us. He'd be like, hey, uh, I got a question for you, Rye. Like, what's up? Like, did anybody ask about me today? I, go, <laughs> uh, I think I know a lot more about sports than you do. Yeah. But I've always said you're better at radio than I am, which is kind of the thing it took me too long to figure it out. And so I don't say the first part is to be like, I'm better than you. I'll listen to you do segments where I go, oh, this is, this is why this crosses over a little bit. Now, I think in the beginning for me, people were like, well, what's, what is this guy's deal? Like, well, how does he do this thing? Like, he's really into sports. He watches everything. He takes notes. And it's like, oh, wait, he actually talks to a lot of people. Okay, so like the John Beeline story is a perfect example of this. Yeah. I had heard the very before the season even started that Beeline Cavs, disaster. They had like the quickest a team had ever tuned out on a guy. Like hadn't even thrown the ball in the air yet. Right. I wasn't going to say anything because the way it was relayed to me, you know, I wasn't going to betray somebody that had told me this, even though it was pretty juicy, but it's still like it's the Cavs now in 2020 who really cares. But I could throughout the year and the way I would do the radio show when I have information like this stuff all the time, it was like the Romo thing. Like I knew Romo was done. I knew the team that he wanted to go to. I knew that that team was just like, look, we don't think it's going to work right. with us. And Romo's like, all right, screw it. I guess I'm done. And then I knew about the CBS part. And so a month ahead of time, when it came up as a topic on a radio show, I could be like, you know, I really think he's done. I really think he's going to be on TV. It'd be the same thing as a Beeline thing. We're like, hey, what's going on with Cleveland? I go, you know, I just don't know if Beeline's connecting with them without necessarily right. closing the story. And that's where I think, for me, it was a struggle to go, I don't. I don't play, like, I think sometimes you'll do a segment where you go, you know, pre-show, you're like, everybody's going to think I'm such a dick <laughs> and I'm going to do it anyway. Well, like today on the show, I, I don't, I do segments where I think, no, my, I, I think my, my whole. By the way, I don't think you're mean. You're never, you've never, you've, you've always been incredibly good at not being mean despite being very critical. Yeah. Bob Costas called me recently and he Your had a cadence is like softer. It's actually a really cool. It's not a I'm trick. Like, I'm like just, the Bed Bath and Beyond of sportscasters. You come out of there feeling like I'm a little less alpha, but I'm okay with it. <laughs> <laughs> so Bob Costas called recently to push back on something I'd said, and I asked him at one point. I said, "Was I mean spirited?" Did you not like the Twins bullpen or something? No, I, I I criticized him wanting to do a um, 
uh, kind of a CTE commentary during uh, oh, yeah, yeah, the Super Bowl. Yeah, yeah. And, I, right. and I said it on the air, I had said, or on a podcast, I had said, I don't think you... Oh, it's a big deal. Yeah, right, I said, yeah. I don't think it's fair that Bob wouldn't have done that in Game 7 of the World Series. You don't trade in your power for that moment. That's not fair to a league. The league didn't want it. The audience didn't want it. The teams didn't want it. And the medical community didn't need it. It would be more like, I just feel like I should do it. Bob's argument to me was, in a six-hour pregame show, there's five minutes for it. To which that's a very reasonable argument. But when I had him on, I said, did you ever think I was mean-spirited or unfair? And it made me feel good when Bob said, he goes, you know, I don't listen to you every day, but when I do. That's always awesome, though, when other guys do that in the business. Like, like hey, don't catch all your stuff. Like, Stephen A got mad at me about something. He's, I didn't even hear it, but Ryan. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> I'm like, come on, man. Like, listen to it first if you're going to call me. But Bob did say, he goes, when I do, he goes, you always sound like you've done your homework. And that, so to me, you know me, I do. Yeah. Like, I do. I also, you are research. Remember that promo? I love that one. <laughs> That's like 10 years. That's some a caller was rude right to me. I said, I am research. I am um, research. So, yeah, I mean, I think, uh, first of all, I'm at a point where, like tomorrow, I have dinner with a GM, NFL GM. The following day, I've got a call with an NFL scouting director. So I have such a great team. I've got writers and funny guys and researchers. My job is really to come in in the morning, have made calls. So I think I'm more like you than ever. I really now. On the information thing, we talk about this all the time now the because air. I think that's the way to kind of separate yourself. Oh, but it's like a non-traditional role. Like used to be the radio guy was the dumbest guy. Yes. The radio guy was the least connected. And the audience you know? responded by not listening to people. But I'm but, all but, about. But sometimes like local guys, I think that's what worked because you felt more like a fan was hosting the show right. while you were in the car. But I felt like, because I love the draft. I, I always wanted to work in a front office before. Yeah. I, I never even wanted to be on the air. Like I didn't grow up going. I just you know, Jim Lampley, the by air. the way, wanted to be an executive. He fell into a TV role. Lampley wanted to be an executive. Well, my minor league gig, they were like, we'll put you on the air because your voice is deep. But I was like, is there anything else I can do? And I was excited to do the travel receipts. Because I thought like, oh, this will, you know, this yeah. will be the path to the front office yeah. thing, like doing the travel. I totally get that. Stuff. Yeah, I totally get that brain because I've said I couldn't do it at this point. But if you let me be a scouting director for an NFL team at this point, it wouldn't be very lucrative. But it, and the travel is daunting. Do you do you think you'd be a good GM? Um, not today. But if I took this obsession and said, OK, 24 months then I think it'd be really good. I think your press conferences would be amazing. I would. I'd be incredible. I think now you'd be a bad GM today. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, because I'm not. It's just like, you know, when when, the, when Kobe Bryant segued brilliantly into his post-career, right? I remember reading a quote and Kobe said, I just took my obsession and I moved it over to a documentary. And then I moved it over to business. And most of what we do in life is transferable. Obviously not musical talent or athletic. But a good lawyer would be a good radio guy, would be a good paramedic. You're a guy that's like all in on stuff. You're all in on writing. You're all in on working out. You know, if you just transfer, most stuff is transferable. Not a pianist, not a shooting guard. No, but that's like the CEO approach. Like I'll read about these different CEOs and be like, well, what does this guy know about pet food? And be like, well, it doesn't matter because he knew how to monetize travel. And you're that's like, right. what? And then you're like, no, it's not the product. It's, it's the execution of of changing what you guys are doing wrong. And the smart ones come in and be like, all right, what's going on here? Like, why is this all messed up? So yeah, I do think, you know, there's certain, like if I knew, 
know, kind of thinking about like how I approached it once. Cause I was always, as you mentioned, like the entry point thing, I was always, all right, well, I'm going to prove everybody like I'm going to, I'm going to kick ass. Yeah. And, but the thing I did wrong was I put my head down. I didn't talk to anybody. I didn't build any right. relationships with the decision makers. I was like, they're just going to see how hard I work yeah. and hear about it. And they're like, nah, they don't really pay enough attention, especially when they're not listening on the drive in. Like when I was on with Scott, like that's when they were doing stuff and having meetings. Right. You were a driving guy. You know what I mean? Mike and Mike, you could tell like right. it was great because every single boss was listening to them as they were driving in. You know, I always had a trick. Uh, this is my manip manipulative side. So whenever at my former employer, when they would talk to me, my bosses, I wanted them to go west because I knew I would become their morning drive because I knew they drove in listening to the show before me and went into their meetings at 10. That's when I came on. So anytime I talked in my 10-year stay to ESPN, I'd say, uh, you, you guys, and I'd almost make them feel guilty. I'd be like, if you don't go Denver West about a half dozen times a year, you're not a real exec. Like, you're, you don't count. You're just a regional exec. I think I talked more execs at ESPN go to LA for the week than I knew they listened to me driving in. Otherwise, they didn't hear me. Because that's the, the bigger thing, too. Is like, you're on the air, and there's so many of us that are on the air there. And you think everybody's paying attention? No, I you remember know, one time. I know Eric Shanks listens to me. Like my boss now is is probably at, at Fox, right? He's pro he's the best judger of on our talent. His background is production. So Eric, our Super Bowl was unbelievable. It was a, almost a flawless. I mean, I've been we've been in this business forever. It was about as flawless a five hour broadcast. Buck was great. Aikman halftime. It was awesome. It was. I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm not disagreeing with you was, right now because it was one of those moments. Like two hours in, I'm going. You know what's amazing is this. I literally like, this text, is awesome. I text Shanks and I'm like, you should be incredibly proud. This yeah. is a masterpiece. Eric is, he started producing. He has more than any boss in my life. He has a total under, he'll come up to me and go, I don't like your hair today. He'll be like, I like that rant. It, most of the time your boss says Did you that, stop dying it after the last contract? Were you like, all right, this is enough I've cash. Died I, don't I told you the story. I did it one time because I had six weeks but off. But you were about a free, I thought you were dying it right before free agency. No, no. I, I came out I thought here. it was like an Alfred Payton for you. Okay, so <laughs> <laughs> when you moved to Manhattan Beach, yeah. you go to the beach a lot. Yeah, all the time. So I had six weeks off. Mm -hmm. Brought my son out, went to the beach every day. Three weeks in, my hair turns yellow. I'm at the beach all day. I get an email. Pictures, Friday. My wife's like, uh, you look like Spicoli. Like your hair is salted. Hot. And so that I go to good. Hush yeah. or some place down here in Manhattan Beach. I'm like, my hair's yellow. She goes, <laughs> okay, let me just, let me get the yellow. She goes like. She went red. Microphone black. Yeah. And I'm like, not great. <laughs> and then over the course, as I'm washing it seven times a day, it becomes microphone brown and i'm like this is worse so i mean what do you do it's like i just laugh at it i'm like but it wasn't because i was because i'm very comfortable with gray hair i don't care my dad had it i don't know I, I think gray hair I, look i'm the last to talk i mean i'm just lucky i have i'm tall enough and my arms are big because if, <laughs> if, if i had no hair so i don't normally like but it was always one of those theories people had that you would dyed it and then once you got the new contract you're like, no god no well i'm glad we put that one to bed let's Put it to bed. Okay. I want to get back, though, to, to Now, when do you run spots during this? Uh, I'm going to read them all after. It's just and then you, you and just, I hanging out. Do you, you, people wait to the end to read your spots? That doesn't seem very effective to me. No, no. I'm going to cut them in. And I could even do one right now. Let's do one. I'm like, all right. The biggest feuds Cowherd's had coming up next. But first. And then I'll just... <laughs> I'll just put that in there. That's clever. More with Cowherd here in a second. But first, I want to talk about ZipRecruiter because we know how challenging hiring is. It's hard to find qualified candidates. It takes a long time. Too many applicants. 
I know if I started a small business where I'm going, you know, I'm not going to go to Shellbacks to find everybody. I'm going to go to ZipRecruiter. Codable co-founder Gretchen Hebner. Oh, what's going on with Gretchen? She experienced how challenging hiring can be after unsuccessfully searching for a new game artist to grow with her education tech company. But then she switched to ZipRecruiter and saw an immediate difference. And you can, too, by signing up for free at ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan Show. That's R-Y-E-N Show. ZipRecruiter doesn't depend on candidates finding you. It finds them for you. And by using ZipRecruiter's screening questions to filter candidates, Gretchen found it easier to focus on the best ones, then find the right one. In fact, after posting her job on ZipRecruiter, Gretchen said she was honestly surprised she found qualified applicants so quickly and hired a new game artist in less than two weeks. With results like that, it's no wonder four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. See why ZipRecruiter is effective for businesses of all sizes. Try ZipRecruiter for free at our web address, ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan Show, R-Y-E-N Show. That's ZipRecruiter.com slash Ryan Show. And before we get back to Cowherd, today's podcast is sponsored by ADT Commercial for Business. ADT Commercial serves businesses ranging from mid-sized organizations to large-scale enterprises. Think of them as a special team who has one focus, your business security. They provide a comprehensive line of security, fire, life safety, and risk management solutions, professional-grade systems for commercial-grade businesses with ADT Commercial every day's game day. Fortune 1000 companies rely on ADT Commercial for highly complex, scalable, integrated solutions that help solve their unique business challenges. If you're looking for a partner upgrade or take over the monitoring and service of your current system, ADT Commercial can help to painlessly install and maintain large-scale and multi-site businesses. They make it easy to switch providers. Their onboarding is predictable, dependable, and painless. Schedule a no-obligation security review with ADT Commercial for Business. No pain that's good in sports and good in business security. Visit ADT.com forward slash game day to learn more. That's ADT.com forward slash game day. I had dinner with Baker Mayfield in Miami. It wasn't um, something where Baker's like, hey, I want to go to dinner with you. We just happened to be at the same table together. It was a Wheels Up event. Oh, I was at that Wheels Up event. Not the Friday night one. Oh, no. No, that was the Rayo's dinner. Incredible behind the W and Kenny and Gary and all those guys. Uh, Wheels Up, thanks again for having us all out there. The Baker thing, it went well for you on a prediction. Because you were anti him, you were anti the Browns, you were just beating that. I drum was anti over. John Dorsey. Yep, I said ain't gonna work. Uh, you were anti Freddie Kitchens, and which- I I wasn't anti Baker. I was this is a reach. He's the fourth most talented guy. Because I didn't think Josh Rosen could last physically, but I I said he's not a number one pick. He's a franchise quarterback. So when you have that, where you go, okay, like for right now, I'm right about this. Like yeah. I've called it out, and I think sometimes. You know, it's always weird. Like, I try not to get, they tell us all the time, like, hey, don't get, be critical, but don't be personal. Like, right, don't right. get nasty about it. And some yeah. people just get nasty about it and yeah. it works for them. I feel like the rules are different all the time. But like, when the Baker thing happens for you that way, where you said it would be a disaster, it ends up being a disaster. Do you feel like you have to hammer that even more? Because it felt like you kept going back to that well, well all season long, because it was like a win for you. Um, a lot of it was Baker kept effing up. He kept talking like I was done with him. And then he calls out the medical staff. And that was the time I was really harsh. I came in the next day. I'm like, you're a dope. Like, that's an easy one. Interceptions, I get. Um, you know, I get, you know, you buy a sports car or an interception or in the, I, I get that stuff. You called out the medical staff. Like, that's 101 bad locker room vibe. And I think the day after that, I I, I was too mean. I, I came out and I was like, you know, you're just, you're a 
dope. I mean, you're a dope. And I, and I look back and I think, no, he's not a dope. He's a smart kid. He's a good kid. Um, I'm also older. So I, I don't, I think now what I morph into is this. Westbrook, you know, three years, I'm like, this is not winning basketball. He unravels every May. This is not me being critical. Mellow, I was always harsh on. So Mellow, I was right. Westbrook, um, and I think Baker, you know, I, I won those. But my f- my feeling is... That's interesting that you say, I don't think, do you mean I won those? Well, like no, I went, it's like those or? were, the audience rebelled against me. Yeah. I took and so a, it's not even against the guy. No, it's against no, the no, 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 no. And I exactly. went and said, That's, no, 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 I'm not going to, I'm not going to fold on this. And uh, I feel like at the end, I was right. I got that one right. I don't need to keep hammering because the audience does mostly acknowledge. You got it. I mean, I have people to come up to me, all the, people from Ohio. They're like, yeah, you got that one right. And so my takeaway is instead of being right, like right now, I could keep doing. I came out two weeks ago and I said, Stefanski's going to work and Baker's going to be pretty good next year. He doesn't have to face. If you go back and look at Baker's year, he faced. Think about these defensive coordinators. Pete Carroll, Wade Phillips. Bill Belichick. It was a gauntlet. And by the way, this was the beginning of the year. And I'm like, he next year, if you look at their schedule, he doesn't face all these defensive coordinators. He faces more offensive guys. I think Baker's going to have a nice year. And Stefanski's not a dope. So I don't, I think I'm kind of off it. Like, have, you, West, ha- have you had somebody like, Baker went at you, and that's also the thing. Like, you're I older, never retorted right, when he went after me on the you, social. You had, yeah, but even when he came out on the show and you, and you went at him for the celebrating yes. by himself, and then I actually, for that specific one, I was like, I don't know. I think that you're being a little hard on him, but this is like a bigger thing where as you get older, I've noticed this. Like, I was sort of young. I was always the young guy, and then all of a sudden, I was like, I'm older than everybody else. You know, like not not necessarily my industry, right. but the people I'd be around. Yeah. I go, how the hell did that happen? Like, I was always the youngest. And I was pretty young for what I was doing in the beginning at the ESPN thing. And I think you're harsher because you're closer in age to the athletes. And then as you get older, and like I'm at dinner with Baker, I'm like, I think I'm twice his age or I'm 20 years old. And so I go, how critical, like how how would you feel about really beating up? And I haven't done it, but like really beating up on somebody's personality. And as you get older, and honestly, as you get older, if you continue to be successful, I think you actually have a softer side to you oh, doing this. I think I have kids. Yeah. So my, I don't even have kids, but I understand it. Like, I remember Van Pelt. I'm like, why is he so soft on these college guys? And then, you know, you turn 40 and you go, are really going to crush an 18-year-old? Yeah. Um, I think Baker's aggressive nature, you know, Marcus Aurelius, what is your nature? Oh, how about that one? Uh, his nature. Boom. Um, Baker's nature is aggressive. He's kind of, you know, superhero chest plate but if you're him and you know as Dilfer said he was a fat kid that was short and we didn't invite you to our QB camp right and Baker's heard that every time and he hears it in Lubbock like I got him a lot more after sitting down with him a little bit where I went yeah I can see why this guy is like F everybody like I can and you know if it works it's like oh that's great he doesn't care about anything when it doesn't work it's like oh I guess the thing because I don't want to spend all this time on it but if you had times where somebody's gone at you that you felt uncomfortable, you felt right, you felt wrong. No, I have always had a theory. I have opinions. You're allowed to have opinions on my opinions. I'm not going to have an opinion on your opinion of my opinion. So when Baker took shots at me on social, I never respond. I say what I say. I think you should be able to rip me. I don't need to rip you for ripping me. Like, here's my opinions. They're for the world. Like LeBron this weekend was asked, 
something about what would you tell young people? And I loved his answer. He was like, steal from me, use me as inspiration, copy me, be better than me. Like, like use me. And that's the way I look at my opinions. Here's my opinions. Do with it what you want. Rip me, like me, hate me, block me. I'm not going to explain my opinions. I've given you my opinions. They're there for you to do whatever you want. Uh, bloggers will rip me, uh, you know, critical rip me. People will retweet me. I mean, social media now is all about, here's my quote. I'm hoping you like it. But if you don't block me, all right, I lost a guy. So I don't, <laughs> I, I don't really worry about how it lands. Like I, I research everything. I think about everything how you perceive it, how it lands for you is you. If you retort to me, I'm not into some tete-a-tete on the internet. I'm busy. I've moved on, as you know, to the next comment because I got 12 segments to fill. This is Tuesday. Now, Wednesday, I've got 12 more nine-minute segments. I don't have time to worry about how my comment is perceived and lands for everybody else. It definitely messes with some hosts. And I know at times where I have, have like spent a segment talking to one person because I looked at social media during the show yeah. and then I started just doing this thing where the radio thing I go you know I'm just putting this phone away but it's weird like younger guys that I would host with keep that tweet deck open the whole radio show I and do I'm like, not this is this would be like me writing a line in a scene and then sending it to a producer and then asking for feedback and be like well what's the next person gonna say you know when you I know? pick my phone up when my social media guy halfway through the show comes to me Wesley and he goes uh, this is hitting then I go and retweet it I don't want to read I don't mostly well, for I don't. the show that can help too. Cause you're like, all right, let me stay. Let me stay in this. Lane. I want to stay present on my prepared show. I have said this cause I did do solo, but it was infrequent and it was back and forth, which yeah. is the worst way to do solo. Like either do it or don't. Right. Um, you are somebody that, and, and check me if I'm wrong here, but when you come in, you can be inspired by those around you. Like you can come in as a blank canvas right. and people go, Hey, Colin, what about this? What about a little bit of this? And you start, the mind starts moving yeah. and you're formulating it. Right. I would walk in and everybody knew I'd already decided what I was doing on the ride in. Right. And I'd be like, this is what I'm doing. Yeah. And that's what I'm doing. And I definitely think people like working with your style better, better than mine, but everybody does it differently to be comfortable enough to go, Hey, I'm still the one behind the mic there for three straight hours. Yeah. So I can only do it the way I'm comfortable doing it. I can't sell your take if I'm not into it. And that's, that is so much harder. And, and some guys, I, there's one anchor in particular, I'm not going to say his name at ESPN, who I don't like, who was talking shit about me after I'd said the hardest thing. And like, look, I'd anchored a little bit when I was yeah. in Boston. Yeah. I had to write for a deadline. I did play by play. Yeah. I did color, which is, you know, I wasn't good at it, but it's not hard. Solo radio is so much harder than anything else. It isn't debatable. It isn't debatable. You know, the, it, it, what's happened, Ryan, is I used to be more your style. I am really collaborative now. Now, some of it is because my staff is so strong. So I really trust my staff. So I come in and I'm more of a get, system guy now. Yes, I am. I'm really <laughs> slot receiver, nine yard curl. I come in with two things usually to say. Big, strong takes. I've thought about them. It, I went to bed. Do you do that, though, knowing you're going to carry 20 minutes? Because your first segment's 20, isn't it? No, my first segment's about 12. 12, okay. So now, the, the things I have to say are not always my lead. I've got two, like today, I was on the baseball thing. 
Okay, isn't so, it great for baseball to be back in the in the okay, national? They have talk. a villain. It's great. <laughs> it's, it's, it, it took a decade plus. I, I, like, I hey, want to watch spring games. <laughs> um, so I've become much more collaborative, and I think a lot of it is my staff is so good. So I come in. I've got two things to say. We kind of sandpaper them, and then I'm like, "What we got?" And I, my staff just throws me stuff, and I'm like, "Nah, it doesn't interest me." So I have to buy into not 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 the not the uh, rant. I have to buy into what they're pitching me, but once they pitch it to me and they sell it to me, everybody at the table sells me something. And I'm like, let's go for it. And I'm pretty good at 10 And seconds. they got to be okay too with five straight no's. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, like, just, you have to like, the producer side of this, like that's a tough one. Yeah, no, no. Yeah. So I tell my producers, I'm like, just pitch me stuff. Yeah. That's kind of what the word is. And so they just keep pitching me stuff. And I'm like, and I, you can tell after a while, you're like, that works. That's on my brand. It's fun. You know, I, it's what we always try to do is have, our rant connect to somebody like instead of just saying NBA all-star game was great. No, LeBron decided the game mattered to him. Therefore it mattered to all the stars. So I've tied it to LeBron. So my, my, but you'll do that purposely to make sure it's like the old, I remember I ran into, well, I was hanging out with Woj yeah, and there was a writer that came over to say hi to us. Yeah. And I didn't really know him that well. And a lot of people actually don't like this guy that much anymore. That's why I haven't brought up his name. But Woj and I were talking about the guy after he left. Yeah. And Woj said, you know, the thing about him is he goes, he knew when you're in the city, when you're in a big city, he was right about the quarterback, right about the legendary head coach, yep. right about the big receiver they should bring in. Like These, always, I know it sounds simple, like, but I remember too, like Scott and I used to do this thing at the beginning, like, let's be different. Let's make sure Gonzaga gets more love. Yeah, and I love Mark Few. So do I. Like, don't lead with Gonzaga. No, no, no. <laughs> and, that, I, and that's why, not to interrupt your LeBron point, no. but you are very calculated no. in making sure, like, how can I turn it back to LeBron? And people can bitch about it, but it's kind of what you're supposed to do. It No, you have to. Topic selection is the single most underrated quality. So I have a big audience and they're loyal. My radio audience, my podcast audience, my streaming audience, every day I know the number. Now, there are tragedies. There are Monday after football, but I know the number. My television audience is not as loyal. Is it because they have a device in their hands? It's eat, we're, we're, we're accustomed We've normalized flipping through 30 channels in three minutes, right? In radio, if I'm in the car, I'm going to hang with Ryan. I'm hanging with Mad Dog. I made a conscious decision in traffic. I know what else is on next to him. But in television, you flip the challenge. You're like, oh, she's good looking. Oh, wow, that's fat. You know, there's a million things on. But in radio, my audience is loyal. They're with me. They're with me for 20 minutes. But in television, they move. I could get, I get minute to minute cable ratings every day on the previous day. Every minute? Every minute. You cannot imagine. So my audience, which is loyal, this is 20 years in. I lose 25% of my audience if I pick the wrong topic. I, topic selection is huge. It's the second most important thing to being interesting. Yeah, and that's, that's really the, the lesson in all of it. It's, and I finally started to figure out where it was like, how can I do the thing that I have to do? How do I play the hit? How do I do deflate gate for the 20th time? And make it interesting. And then you know, have it somehow pivot to something where I'm still doing it, but I'm not doing the same segment over and over again, because I had a hard time being repetitive because if I felt like I was checking out, like I look at stand-up comedians and be like, you guys get to do the same routine for like Broadway? eight months. A six month play. It's the same thing. I like, I, I went to a show in Vegas this weekend. The guy with crushed at seven. I'm like, he's on in another hour. How do you do that? Yeah, but it's the same thing. Like imagine like what we've had to do is every day, Get up and give me three hours. But and I, so, like, if you're repetitive, hour one, two, and three, okay. But you know what? Tomorrow is it's Tuesday. 
And then it's Wednesday. And then it's Thursday. Like you've been going now for what, almost 20 years? Yeah. For that three, and it was a four hour stretch there, the mystery hour. Yeah. So, no, I mean, I just, we try to make. Wait a minute, was it? You called it, what did you call it? Mystery Levitar. hour. You did? Oh, okay. It was a mystery. The, the Does Levitar also it. call his, his, his Miami hour? No, local hour. They call it local, local hour. hour. So I had an hour that was only on in LA. Hey, what's the deal with you guys? Are you not cool with Levitar? I get along with him fine. It, it, it's like, it's almost like the Dan Patrick thing. I always liked both of them. And then I left and Dan took shots and I'm like, we got along. I mean, we weren't buddies, but I always liked Dan. I, I saw him every day. When I was doing my show, I'd come out and get a coffee. This he is Dan was, Patrick. Yeah, I yeah. always liked Dan. I, if I saw him today, I'd buy him a beer. I always liked Dan. Then I went and then he took some shots and I fired back at him. I'm like, same with Dan Levitar. Dan will text me and go, hey, I, we took a shot at you, but you're okay with that, right? And I'm like, I think I'd be more okay if you didn't have to email me that eight times a year. Because, <laughs> like, I never talk That's about you. That's not a fake laugh for me. Cause I, um, I, no, because that last time, I, you know, now that it's coming back to me, like, Stu definitely, and I get along with both guys. Yeah, okay? I like them. Um, but that last time, like, they did that whole production on I you, didn't see it, it, but I heard about it, yeah. yeah which is, again, it's supposed to be really my, funny. my favorite on-air answers back to the but I did not. But I heard it's funny. Why wouldn't you, you wouldn't at least be a little curious to go no, check it out? No, I don't. Dennis Miller's got a line, and I've always believed it. It's the best line ever. Dennis said, do you want to hear your critics? And he goes, no. If they say I'm great, I'll get lazy. If they say I'm bad, I'll have low self-esteem. I don't read my critics. Now, I'm not saying it, some of it doesn't come to me. Yeah, Andrew Marshan wrote an article, I'm in it, yeah. uh, about Mad Dog. He, he did a story on Mad Dog and he interviewed me and I wanted to read, make sure he got the quote right. But I think it eats you alive. I mean, you just told me earlier, you're doing the show, you read something and it gets into your head. I really think I'm good at what I, my little space. I don't need... You're, if you know wine, you're wine sommelier. Do you need people to say, you know, I don't think he knows his B knows as well. No, that's I, definitely something that happens to, and I don't know, you know, what group I'm considered to be in. I know what right. I think of my abilities, but you, you just get to a point where, and this is the best part about the business. Like if you can get to it, you go, Hey, you know what? I'm, I'm pretty good at this. It's like, yes. I'm good at this. And then you relax and then you're better on the air. Right. And that's not even radio. I'm talking like anchoring big moments where, you know, if you were younger and you're like, all right, you're going to, you're going to host like a toss to a NBA playoff game. And you're making sure, okay, what's the, what are the A's? What are the B's? What's that transition? What the hell does right. that mean? Where's the jib and all this shit. And then you, you know, do it five years and you go, Hey, you know what? I'm going to be really good because I'm good at this. And that's like the best feeling ever. And it takes, took me longer. Um, but maybe that's because it mattered. But like back to the thing of like, yeah, sure. There can be a comment every now and then you don't really like, but I know that everybody that works in the business that does like, I feel like the people that do it have always thought I was better than the decision makers. And that always made me feel better. But then sometimes I think like I could do more segments where I rip other guys in the media. And sometimes I want to I feel like it's media incest. I don't think my audience cares about my opinion. Don't you think though, there'd be way more entertained if we all just started killing each other? <laughs> I don't know. I don't think. I know you're not wanting to do it. And I've decided. It's not in to, my nature right. to. Like, I liked Scott Van Pelt. I, I like Joe Buck. I like Chris Broussard. I like them all. I, I don't want to. Like, I am so happy now. Not to go Tony Robbins or something, right? Do or it. Joel Osteen. Because this is the truth. Because I know. Because I yeah. know. I know there was a stage there in Connecticut where you were. I mean, you're going through a lot of stuff. And I was over. And you, it. you pulled me aside, and we weren't even that close. Yeah. And I was like, man, this guy's like searching a little bit. Yeah. And your career is about to take off. But I knew that, you know, all the other pieces that, like, it, there was just some stuff that was missing for yep. you. Yeah. <clears throat> and now it's not. Yeah. And so. And it's not just Fox. It's not just the contract. No, no, no. no listen, my bosses are great. Right. I, 
Fox is the company that finally let me be me. Fox doesn't micromanage me. I don't feel the pressure from the corporate world. Uh, my bosses trust me. They know I work hard. But that's also back to entry points. They had to get you out yes. of the worldwide leader. But to their to credit is they have never micromanaged. You know, the first year I knew when I started, I said, guys, don't look at ratings. It's, it's like I'm the Oprah network. I'm Oprah first year. She has nothing surrounding her. I'm like batting third. I didn't have a nobody into me, nobody out of me. Like, just give this thing two and a half years. Let it bake and it'll work. And the management never questioned it. You know, that's hard for management. Okay, so you're you're restarting this FS1 thing and that management never, ever questioned it. We had bad days. We had good days. Uh, I, I trailed ESPN 26 to one when I started. I'm now down to two to one in my slot. Like, I may never catch anybody, but the bottom line is I'm doing my best work. I've got my best bosses. Fox is an incredible place to work. It's almost like... Um, is there a way to convince the audience in a, in describing why you say that? Ask yourself it, this. Because, but I'm just saying, like, people are going to listen to this and go, well, of course you're saying that. They okay. gave you all this money and they made you the man. Right. Like, it maybe it's specific to Here's you. Here's the best way to say Because I hear it from all the people at Fox, so I think it's important. Why don't people leave Fox? A lot of people leave a lot of places we've been. They don't leave. If given a choice, they don't leave. They may have to be... No, we don't re-sign them. Find the list of people that said, I want to leave this place and go elsewhere. And there's reasons to leave. LA is expensive. You know, it's harder to make it work here. It'd be easy to go, I'm going to move to blank, 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 blank network in an easier place to live. They don't lose many people. People love it. They're, they're, it, you know what it is? But I do think that because the number of people at ESPN is so massive. It's, right, right. So like if there's more turnover because of, of course. sheer volume. Yes, I think that is part of it. But I also think um, Fox has run like a series of silos. Like everything at my former employer, I could feel the Disney umbrella. You could feel the pressure on your shoulders. Like they do Beauty and the Beast. You know, these guys do The Simpsons. Yeah. Right? So there is a sense of FS1 isn't Fox News, isn't Fox Business, isn't Fox Sports. We're all, isn't the Wall Street Journal, isn't the New York Post. You're all in these really cool silos where you're, where you're kicking ass, you're working hard, they trust you until they can't. And because we're in LA as a company, and I think this matters, the company is very friendly toward front-facing personalities. It's art. It's not perfect, okay? The more corporate you become, the more pressure you feel from above. This is a company that had a movie division, has a highly controversial political division. They've got cable. They owned National Geographic. So they understand the world we live in, where we're creating content, good days, bad days, good rants, bad rants. They don't micromanage. I, I just feel, and again, maybe it's because I like my bosses and I'm being paid well. Maybe it is that. I know this, the staff I have now like we come into work and we're all in a good mood at 6.05 a.m. Not easy. Like we're, we're chopping it up on the, on the bagels, on the coffee, laughing in the morning every day, chopping it up. And when we do our prep and we're done at 8.20, we walk out of that room and it's like, it's fun. Like I'm really proud of our guys and the women in our club. I really am genuinely happy. That's 20 years in doing the same thing. I don't care if you sell insurance. If you walk out of your meeting and you're happy driving home to work, you got the right job. Like you did it, you know, I'm not saying 
I deserve the credit. But right now in your life, you're a goal setter. That's who you are. You're a jock. You're a goal setter. And generally, I think people that are, I work out every day, but you're, I would say even more so for you. When you set goals and achieve them, like with your writing, it feels great. It feels, yeah, you I go finished, to bed every I, night I like. the 130 page feature uh, a Friday ago. And I was like, you actually did it. Because, you know, my biggest thing is people that are full of shit, you know, and I knew when I wanted to do the writing thing, I was like, I don't want to be one of those guys that buys the Sid Field books and, and grabs story and reads it sort of and then opens up your laptop and pretends that you're going to do it because it sounds cool. And then when I left ESPN, I kind of was like, maybe I should have just shut up about that whole part of it and waited to be like, oh, by the way, this is what I was working on. But I think I did it subconsciously to put all that pressure on me to make sure I did it. And I don't know, you know, I've, a couple of people are looking at this thing now that I've done after some of these other things. And I have some things here, hopefully, that uh, I'll be able to announce. But you put I, the work in. I liked it. It feels like, great. It's an unbelievable feeling to go, hey, at 40, you decided to start doing this. And I was like 11 o'clock at night. I'm in my mode here. I'm listening to my Christian Scott. And I was like, you're done. Like you did it. You wrote 130 pages. And that's how I feel. Yeah. You set a goal. When you're athletic, our life has generally been fairly linear. A couple of jocks over here just no hanging kidding. out. I'm going to do some <laughs> curls later. But our, your, our life's pretty linear. Set goal, work at it, achieve goal, have a beer. Like it's not that complicated. We're not artists, so to speak. You know, <laughs> no, like, no. The radio thing is like survival in yeah, a way. A little it's, bit. it's getting through the day. Like I... I, I don't know if I even had five segments in, in all the years of doing it where I went, oh my God, I'm so brilliant. But I do know that like you and I are guilty of the, like if we, this is kind of getting back to like being critical of each other, yeah. where you could do an entire show as being like, this was stupid. This guy shouldn't have said this. Yeah. This is dumb. Because what I don't like about our business is, and I can still like the guy, but the idea of I've had this opinion and I'm never going to deviate from oh, it. Oh, I deviate all the time. I'm only going to use the evidence that supports my opinion. And I'm actually going to like get pretty loose with the facts to, can you, to, like, to continue to beat you over the head with all these different things. And that's, that's the part of it. When I see guys like that get rewarded, I'm always like, you ah, know, man. You know, that's but, the part about the business where I was like, I, I, I don't know if I want to do this. Yeah, and I think I see that, but I no longer care. I think there was a part of me that would care. I no longer care. Like, I... I, in fact, the criticism of me I hear, um, and I don't hear it a lot, but I hear it is, oh, you, you just flip-flop. You know, Whitlock always says, they call him Jason Flip-Lock. And my take is, I'm a pilot every day. I get into the plane and they say, you've got to, here's the, there's a massive storm. All right, I'm going to turn left and avoid the storm. Every day I get new information. If, if I have dinner with, uh, you know, uh, Tom Telesco of the Chargers, a couple times a year I'll have dinner with him. And I have dinner with him and he's all in on a player. And uh, the next time I talk to him, he's like, hey, we find some medical issues with his ankle. He can't, he can't pivot. Well, then he doesn't like the player. So sports is totally fluid. Like, I don't think this, I mean, aren't you and I making calls to get new information and you get new information and you're like, yeah, I'm not in on that team. I hear chemistry's not great. Yeah. The cool thing is when you can call me like, look, I'm not trying to, I'm not trying to tweet this out five minutes after you get on the phone, but like, but, you but give me a little, and then I'll still have GMs be like, you, hey, if, beat it. You if know? you seek information. Yeah. So to me, when people say they flip-flop, well, that means you're an information gatherer. The guys that don't seek information and don't call GMs, they have the same opinions. But I also think you have to surprise the audience, which is part of the, you know, if, if, if someone doesn't like you, say, oh, he flip-flops. If they like you, they go, oh, he has the ability to change his mind. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's, it's the, confirmation same, it's the exact same thing. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Like Whitlock, for all his critics, 
he's going to surprise you. Oh, he you're, does all the time. You're going to say, okay, what's he going to do here? And you're like, oh, that's what he thinks of this? Like, I didn't see that coming. Right. And I'll tell some guys every now and then, I go, you know, you can, like, and I can be, you know, oh, Ryan's going to think that, you know, everybody's stupid because they did this or whatever. And I know, like, we've had talks where you go, I don't want to be everybody's stupid guy, but sometimes I can't help myself because I know that I'm the one that stayed up and watched all night. Right. I know I'm the one that's able to talk to somebody right. about it. Like, I can tell immediately when I'm like, you didn't watch. You have no idea what you're talking about. And this isn't about opinion and your interpretation of what's happened. Like you're just totally off in left field. But my question would be to you. Okay, so you do that. But ultimately, if you deeply care about your content, because that's all that really matters for you, you get paid on your content. One of the things I think I've kind of gotten out of is I just, I mean, I guess we all want to be liked, but I'm really into crafting my show getting off the air and going to my family. And I'm just done with it. Now, I do like to talk to you. There's a handful of guys that I'm like- I love when you and I just call each other And I'll be like, hey, like, hey, I, I, I don't yeah, And you awesome. and I, by the way, almost always complain about the same thing. If you go back to our off-air calls, which are probably once a month, we call each other. Yeah. If you, without making people too privy to our personal stuff, our biggest complaint is the- I think social media apparatus being used to be outraged constantly. Like how many times you and I both are always like, I've called you before and said, am I supposed to be outraged by that? That doesn't seem outrageous to me. The outrage blender of social media is just fatiguing to me. Instead of battling it and complaining, I've just turned it off. Yeah, that my thing will be, it's not like, oh, I disagree with you. I'm not mad. You're mad. It's when I go, you're pandering. And you feel like you need to be involved here and you're hoping to get some people to be like, go get them. There's a lot awesome. of, there's a lot right. of projecting right. on the internet. Right. Like, you just I'm, go, I'm not like, have you said anything interesting or have you just done the obvious, Hey, I agree with this, this, the plight of this. And now I'm going to make sure everybody knows how cool I am. And you're like, yeah, but you know, this, this really is. And it's one of the first things you ever said is like, be interesting. And it can sound simplistic. It can sound like, Oh, you know, it's a little bit more than that. Like, no, no, no. Like, can you find a way to do the stuff that everybody's talking about to be interesting and set yourself apart? Uh, could you, do you need this? Like, I know we can talk about money and hey, eventually, and I've got a family and I've got all these things. Yeah. When I had decided to leave the daily radio show, I'd heard rumbling that people were like, dude, he's such a nerd about this. Like, he's going to lose his mind. Yeah. He's not coming in on Monday. And I think people misread me entirely. Now, there's been maybe two times. Like, I would do daily radio again, but it would only be if somebody were like, you're exactly who, you know, like, we believe in you. Let's go. Right. I'll never do it if it's kind of like, oh, hey, we've got a slot open and we're good. I don't need to. I right. just don't. I would. I'm not sure. Would you, what if like, you've got all your money, you've got everything, and Monday they're like, nah, I don't want to make it that way. Hey, you just. I win Powerball. Would you, would you be okay not showing up and doing this anymore? Could you handle it? Because I, well, I think you need to talk to people. I like to talk. I think I've just always been a verbal kid. My son's the same way. He's a talker. He's just got, he's getting the car with him. He's just got fascinating questions and he wants to know the answers to stuff. And my answer to him is always photosynthesis. I have no idea. <laughs> He'll ask me questions about stuff like the moon. So you got to get him a library card. I just say it's photosynthesis. Jackson, I don't know. Um, no, I mean, when people say, do you have a number? I don't really. So that probably means psychologically at some point I need this. I don't have a number. I mean, if I Powerball, I'm still going to work. It's fun to talk. It's fun to build the, I like building the show. Philip Rivers once told me, I like preparing for the game more than the game. 
He goes, the process of breaking down film and knowing, oh, this is going to beat New England and this is going to work. He can't say that very often. Yeah, no kidding, ever. <laughs> um, I like the process of building a show. I love building the show. Sometimes I'm on the show and I'm like, all right, I've done my thing. I hit it today. I'm, I'm done. I got about 20 minutes left. I'm done. I think I really worked hard, did it. I like accomplishing stuff. I like cleaning the house. I like, like I want to go work out today. I'm going to do three and a half miles. I know the time I'm going to do it in. And What's I, your time? Uh, I run about an eight minute mile. That's fine. You know, I'm 50. You know, I'm 50 year old guy. I don't need to run to tear my heart tissues. Okay, I'm good. I'm fine. Yeah. What is it? What is an eight minute? Was that a seven? It was a six and a half? 6.5? No, on the, when you're on the treadmill, it is, I run what are you doing about a, a six? seven point, I go 7.4 at 2% incline. For three and a half miles. Yeah. That's pretty good, man. Yeah. So good about that. But like, you've always, I've always told people that you're, it's funny, everybody's a lot bigger. We had a big lineup. No kidding. I'm taller than people think. Greenie's taller than people think. Yeah. I got Greenie some gear from a, from a place, you know, back then. I was like, hey, do you want, I'm going to pick out some stuff here. And I was like, what are you about a medium? He's like, I, you know, Ryan, I'm a large. <laughs> and I was like, you know what? You Dude, are kind of a large. Actually, we, we have, it's funny, Fox as a group. Gonzalez is big. Howie's big. Bradshaw. These guys are a different level of big. Bradshaw I mean, right. is a 70 year old man. I'm, I'm telling you, he is, he's not fat. He's just thick. People don't understand this. So Terry Bradshaw, when games, his games were not on television. They weren't on cable access. He was the number one pick. You know, if, can you imagine picking a team? A Steelers go, yeah, it's a kid named Bradshaw. Oh, is he in the SEC? No. LSU? No. No. Uh, do you have any tape? None. I mean, it's just insane how good you have to be. And there was no media momentum. It's not like today where like somebody catches fire and people are like, you know, they move up because the combine. It's not a combine thing. There wasn't media momentum. He was just that good. And so when I look at Terry and, he, and he's 70 and I walk in on Sundays to see him and his energy. That just, Sunday thing I've heard is unbelievable it's being around so those great. guys. I, a true story. So when I first came to Fox, it wasn't on my contract. Eric Shank said, would you be willing to do the Sunday show? Would you want to do it? And I said, well, who's the host? He said, Carissa. I'm like, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, I'll do it with Krista. She's fun. So I knew Krista would make it fun and it wasn't in my contract. I just did it. And I thought, and then I started doing it. And I'm like, this is great. But it's smart. And I think it's really, I do think that eventually this is going to happen where more people are going to do this. Like Stephen A is not a writer. He's right. an opinion person. Yeah. And ESPN, especially with his new deal, is trying to find ways to put him on different stuff. Yeah. Fox has done that with you. Yeah. You know, NBC did it with Peter Vesey, but back in the day, Peter Vesey was a writer. Right. But I look at this selfishly yeah. in that, you know what's funny is you bring on a lot of the ex-athletes and a lot of them aren't very good, certainly right away. Yeah. The writing thing is not, normally it would be, I write to be on TV. And if you didn't write, it's like, why do I care about your opinion? And now it's so different. The rules are wide open that I would, I would say one of the things that's going to happen in the future is whatever version there is of you and me later on is that they're going to want opinion people on these shows. Yes. Because the opinion people stir the whole thing up and then get the analysts. Well, up, you know what I mean? Get them going. You can't have like three guys that all played that are maybe a little subdued or two coaches that want a job again. Right. They're afraid to say anything. No, and then a host that doesn't offer any opinion. Like I do think at more shows, what you guys do on the earlier Fox NFL show, there's a model there of like, how can we have a major opinion person on this, on the on show. this set? And, and, and Carissa's great. And so we started doing the show. But you know the ancillary value of it that I never predicted? And this is now the- You're on Fox. Yes, but I get to see Jimmy Johnson off the air. He's the first guy in. Sit down for 15 minutes, ask him five questions. He is a library. 
Belichick goes down on his boat every summer. Howie Long, Bradshaw, these guys are information people. I've learned, I have more sourcing through Jimmy Johnson. I'll go into him and I'll go, coach, explain this to me. And he's like, oh, well, that's the offensive line coach. He's a wackadoo. So this is not going to work. This coaching staff, I mean, he literally has been, he's, he, I'll go to Jimmy and he'll go, this staff won't work. This staff will, this staff won't. He's always he, right. Always. Uh, he, he literally has shown me how to build a staff. He's like, you get a staff, you better find an O-line coach. There's about four good ones in the country and they're all weird. He goes, offensive line coaches are weird. He goes, but the, he goes, you, if you get that wrong in your college program, you can't catch up. And so, and, and so he talks about different theories on how it works. And I just asked Jimmy five questions and he just specifically, he'll go, nope, 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 nope. Yes, yes, yes. And it has become, so when I'm on the air, I use all that information. I, sometimes I'll credit Jimmy, but mostly I'm protecting Jimmy because Jimmy will say, this guy can't coach. This guy's really good. He's the most underrated guy. Here's what you're looking for in a special teams coach. Jimmy has made me so much better at football. So when I go in there Sunday, I'm around Tony Gonzalez, Vic, Jimmy. I just ask them questions and they've all got fascinating answers. And I don't use, I use this stuff on the air. I don't have to credit them. They're my friends. I work with them, but I use their stuff throughout the week. And I get, I get two hours of that stuff behind the scenes before I do the show. That's the value to it. It makes my football, it enriches my, amplifies my football knowledge. We'll close it out here with Colin. Uh, I'm going to do five questions with him. And then that teases ahead to later this week, we're going to have Craig Kilborn on in studio. Steak night, butcher box. Let's do it. Steak night. Is any culinary occasion more delicious? No. Flaming Mignon is the king of the cuts, but sometimes you miss the marbling of a ribeye. Tell me about it. There's nothing a quick wrap in bacon won't fix. And right now, ButcherBox gives you two fillets and a pack of bacon free in your first box. Those are fillets, by the way. Uh, they send all the stuff to me right outside the door. It's great. Because you grab one piece right away and you're like, okay, I'm cooking the steak tips tonight. I'm going to hang on to this chicken here for a little bit. And it's incredible. It's fresh. Uh, it's always exactly what I need when it comes to quality meat. Every month, ButcherBox ships a curated selection of antibiotic and hormone-free meat right to my home. It's packed fresh, shipped frozen, and vacuum sealed. Each box has 9 to 11 pounds of meat, enough for 24 individual meals. And at around just $6 a meal, ButcherBox is the most affordable and convenient way to get healthy, humanely raised chicken, beef, pork, salmon, and bacon. You can customize the box or go with one of theirs and with free shipping anywhere in the continental U.S. You get two filet mignons, a pack of bacon, plus $20 off your first box when you sign up at ButcherBox.com. Dual, that's forward slash D-U-A-L, or use the promo code Dual at checkout. That's two free filets, a pack of bacon, plus $20 off your first box. Just go to ButcherBox.com, use the promo code Dual at checkout. If you like the show, you know you're going to eat meat at some point. Please use ButcherBox. Just try it out. Are you ready for uh, five questions in honor of Kilborn here? He, you know, he's got a very popular Instagram page. He does. He's actually coming on uh, very soon. He and I've been talking. Now, he, his life, I don't know much about him. He is very comfortable in just, he made good money and he's done working. I don't have any answers to any of that. Um, his, his mahogany den looks incredible. Yeah. So unless it's like a, a green screen. I don't know. I don't know what's going on. He appears, I'm going to ask him all of these things. Yeah, he appears to have. He's very comfortable in his own skin. He ha he likes his life. He's, all I had heard about him is when it, is he was at Bristol way before. He was there before yeah. you were. He's way yeah. there before I was, and he was gone. Um, but the whole time he was there, guys that I know that knew him were like, he 
all he wanted to do was get out of there. Yeah. <laughs> and he's always lived other than the New York runs. He, he was always just trying to get to California, always trying to get back to California. Yeah. And I can't wait to talk to him because he's actually my favorite anchor yeah. ever back when anchoring was like a cool thing to do. Right. And now all the anchors want to do what we do. Yeah. Yeah. No, he, uh, very talented. I remember used, he was not making much at ESPN because he used to wear the same jacket. I always remember that. He was just in there. I can't wait to bring this up to him. Yeah. He had a brown, like a Tweety, kind of a brown, blue Tweety jacket. You know, they didn't pay him anything. He was probably making 27 grand a year. He was not making 27. I, I don't Come think it was great. In the 90s, he was on one, he was one of the better anchors. I, but you know how. <laughs> have you ever talked to him? I can't wait. No, to, no, no. I mean, I right, would doubt. Awesome. I don't think yeah. he listens to sports radio. That doesn't, oh, I don't think he's going to listen to this, but I'm definitely going to say in the interview, Colin was was targeting you at 27 grand one year in Bristol. <laughs> <laughs> but he seemed to, I watched a couple of his uh, YouTubes. He's got a distinctive style. He seems very content in living the good life. He's, yeah, it's 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 unbelievable. Yeah, like he's totally at ease with just. I bet he you had. What's funny is they're goofy and it still works. He's I bet in he had weird good parents. I'm I bet he had him. really supportive, great parents. I'm going to guess on that. Okay. But is anybody that's that secure in themselves doesn't need. Maybe I'll have you tape the interview with. Him. <laughs> he's, he's kind of a fascinating guy, right? I find him. I haven't really seen him interviewed ever. He did a sit down with Eisen because like as soon as the Instagram page started popping and people were like, are you guys looking at some of these videos? That I know Joe he did Moore's an L.A. Doing? Times article that he interviewed himself. I read that. It's funny. I mean, he's a very clever guy. He's I think he's I honestly think he he played this lane like I almost want my opinion guys to be a little arrogant. And he was on air and he had this little flair and he was smooth as could be. I yeah. mean, he was as smooth as anybody. I thought his show worked. And think about all the different things that he's done, all hey, the different he, versions of him. Like when I go back and look at those late night show clips that he yeah, has yeah. and or the late, late show, and I go, oh, God, that worked. Oh, and, it's it's very, still, and it still holds up. No, it's very specific to Craig. Craig has an identity. Now, again, I'm just ad-libbing this, right? Like, But when I watch him, there's an identity with him. Like he had his own sensibility. He played to it. He knew it. And he didn't apologize for it. That's what why. I, look, I, I love anybody that goes, ah, you know what? I'm going to do this now. Hey, you oh, know I'm gonna do who this. I really like? And this takes guts. But David Spade went out and said, okay, bashing Trump is too easy. Like, it's just too easy. I'm going to do a show with no Trump bashing. And if you watch that, I watch it digitally every day. It's funny. I've watched Spade's show twice and I, I couldn't, like, this isn't even political, but I can't fathom being like, oh, I'm going to be the next guy that makes, like, the Trump stuff is so easy and you're just going to keep doing it. Like, honestly, these people have have all become the same. Like, I always give Colbert the pass because he's a political junkie. Everybody else to me is faking it. Like, Colbert deeply cares. And is yeah, if I go see a stand-up comedian that comes right out with Trump material, and you're like, hey, can we get to the stuff about you needing a therapist now, now, instead? Because yeah, that's, you know. Colbert does that, or Marr does it. That's who they are. That's their nature. Yeah. But most of these guys, do I think, do I think Jimmy Fallon wants to ever do politics? No. And you can sense it. It's not authentic to him. Jimmy Kimmel does some. But I, when but Colbert Kimmel picks his spots in a good way where he'll be like, All right, you know, what? I'm actually going to hammer this right now. Yes. And you'll be like, oh, and it makes, you know, like any of us that have our voice out there, you're hoping every few months you do something that actually resonates. Right. I mean, that's kind of the game now. It's like, do you have this thing that happens? Yeah. Yeah, I guess. It I mean, is. you know, look, laying the bricks Monday through Friday are one thing. Every now and then you want to have a moment where if if no one's saying anything. Do you ever do you ever do politics on this thing? How long have we gone? Uh, hour 10. Holy, edit it down to like 50 minutes. Do the best of. 
No, this is all I want to do some politics right here. I was okay. thinking about this. All right. You got to look great. I wasn't expecting this. So I was thinking about this today. <laughs> so similar. So in the NBA, I was telling my staff this morning, we, we haven't done it yet. But I said, you know, we always get caught up in the NBA. Uh, what is your strength? And I said, the truth is when you play somebody seven games, it's really about what's your weakness. Utah does not have a wing defender to stop Ka- Kawhi or LeBron. They can't win. They do a lot right. They actually have some interchangeable wings that that are give them a little bit. Who's more their for. best defensive wing? Uh, I don't know if it's O'Neal. Um, I know people laugh about Ingles, but that's I mean Ingles actually you know works his ass off out there. And I know you're rolling your eyes at me right now, but you know what I would say to everybody is n- that's why those guys are really good. I remember one time with like Damari Carroll, I was like, oh that's cool, they can put 20 minutes of him on LeBron. Guess what LeBron did? He destroyed everybody's wing defenders. So. To say that Utah is incapable of getting by, they're probably just not as good. They got to figure out the Conley part of this, but that's why Kawhi is so good. That's why LeBron's so good. I don't know who has the multitude of wing defenders. I think other the, Clippers, than the Clippers have it for LeBron. That's what I think. Yeah. So I think the Clippers have it for LeBron. And LeBron's going to have to actually play one of those guys defensively, I would think, or right. at least to close playoff games if it ends up being both LA teams. But this is how I would segue into politics. So the easier you are to marginalize as a team over seven games, the more I'm going to beat you. It's not about your strengths. You're in the playoffs. Yeah, like the, what switch can we get you into at the end of the game? You're constantly. right. I got you. You're right. So it's the same in politics. Bernie's incredibly easy to marginalize because the two words in politics that would be very hard to elect is atheist and socialist. Those there's still stigma with those. Nobody cares if Mayor Pete's gay. I mean, most people just don't. You know, reasonable people don't care. Um, that that stuff isn't a stigma in, unless you're really a social conservative, of which I think that's a very small part of America. But I was thinking about Bernie the other day. Like Trump is crediting him about once a year. You know, Bernie knows what I'm going through. He, he This Democratic Party is just unethical. Well, he's doing it because he's going to be the easiest guy to marginalize in an election. Like he's a socialist. You can just stop talking. But it's, I mean, that's all you have to say. Like she's an atheist. He's a no, socialist. I, I really think 2016 taught us a really valuable lesson. Like even as you say, like I think conservative social. I think that group's bigger than you think it is. Really? Yeah, I, I do. I do. I, I think that it's a bigger group. Like how then, much? I don't. I don't know. I mean, you, have you we ever just, met a social IT conservative? Uh, yeah. Mike Pence is a social conservative. Yeah, I, I, I mean, I have. Really? I have. Yeah, I mean, it gets a little weird when when you talk about some of the stuff. Like, as what I always have tried to do is, like, this is something I'm proud of that I've done the last couple of years is that even if I disagree with somebody, I go, okay, well, how do they come to this conclusion? Like, I am pro-choice. Yeah. Okay? But I think I can understand how the pro-life person the way they consume this or they go this is what the timeline is and this is what you're doing like i can go okay now i get why you you have come to your conclusions i get where you're coming from. i just disagree with you 2016 taught us and i i always talk about like how wrong everybody was and everybody's done this like that should be a college course is how wrong everyone was because we kept looking at all of each other in these these densely populated areas um, of education, whether you're on the coast, or the media or centers are all so based. all of them: D.C., New York, Boston, L.A., Chicago, and it's just this isn't going to work. This isn't going to work. Okay, now he screwed up, and this guy's not going to get elected. Okay, this controversy, and they kept ignoring these large bases of people that they just didn't have any like intel on, or they didn't see, they didn't resonate with them whatsoever. Okay, so there is the pivot point to my point on Bernie. Okay. So in the last two election cycles, one thing is clear. The Democratic voters like Bernie. The power brokers don't. Obama said a month ago, 
let's talk about electability, not purity. Shot at Bernie. Uh, James Carville, he's a communist. Clearly a shot. Get him out of the race because they don't think he's centrist enough. Yeah, but this do you even think it's opposition to his beliefs or them going like, hey, if we want Trump out of there, can we get somebody remotely moderate that is going to well, appeal to more here, people? Like, why do we go so far one way to try to take out a guy that we need to take out? And so, I say that from their perspective. Okay. I'm not condoning or endorsing. So here's here. my point on Bernie. Nobody thought Obama. You're like, Obama is like a community. Nobody bought Trump. Are we sure? I'm not a Bernie guy. Are we sure Bernie's unelectable? The last two election cycles, he's the only Democrat that's like has a tribal following. Isn't that what Trump had? We mocked Trump. It's like Bernie, everybody's banging on Bernie. And my takeaway is the voters like Bernie. The power brokers say he's not centrist enough. With social media, the Democratic Party, both parties have veered a little bit toward off the fairway. How do we know he's not the best candidate? He clearly, clearly creates the most, even within the Democratic Party, the greatest emotional attachment. Like you're against him or for him. Well, that was Trump and the Republican Party. You were for, even Republicans. So he's were like Antoine Walker in Boston. You're like, this guy's terrible <laughs> or great. But I'm saying is, if you look at Bernie, he's yeah. Trump three years ago. Totally divided his party. He's too crass. In the end, in the world we live in today, do you have a tribal, passionate following? He's the only Democrat. He's it. Are we sure he's unelectable? Because that's what everybody said about Trump two years ago. This is, well, four, but. Four years ago. We, we came together on this. And really, I don't know how the hell we ended up on all this stuff, but I love the Obama one because pre- Obama's whole deal. And if you go back and read Game Change, which is the single best political book I've ever read in my entire life, and that there were some power brokers that were so anti-Clinton, so anti-Hillary and Bill, and they were like, we don't want Bill, like if she becomes president, this Bill's a total liability. Okay. Like this is all in the book and it's very convincing and very little was disputed in this book. And it's the one that the Palin HBO show was based on. The John Edwards chapter in there is like, John, you get done with the John Edwards thing and you're just like, oh, this guy's terrible. <laughs> like there's no, there's no counter to it. But there were people that were so anti-Hillary that they went to Obama and they were like, look, you're, you're next and you have our support. And then Hillary's like, what, who's this Obama guy I think he is? And I remember just thinking like, this isn't like, are we ready for this? Is this really? And I would talk to older people going like, his name even sounds funny. And then it's like a little bit, like the Heisman, this is my Heisman analogy here. The Heisman, when we were kids, you had to have had carryover from the year before because of how slow information moved. You had to almost make your Heisman case for 87 and 86. You had to be a favorite. Now, if you're the favorite, you have no chance of winning because you're held to this absurd expectation and everybody's watching every <laughs> single week. You're better completely being off the radar instead of being Andrew Luck, being RG3. And that's where I think the first time we've seen it in the presidency where Obama was like, it was good that he was totally late on the right. scene. Instead of being held against him, it was new. It was fresh. Everything about him felt different. And everybody's like, I'm in. I mean, not everybody, but everybody was in enough yeah. to get him elected where that would have never happened. And this isn't even about race. No president. Like when Dick Cheney was like, no, nah, I'm good. <laughs> That was the first time. Wait, wait a minute. The vice president, like we grew up and we're like, no, the vice president then runs for president. Like, what are we doing? 
here. And that's why Joe Biden's still running around going. Well, he doesn't really want it, though. You can sense it. Biden's not but in that it. was like the thing. And Cheney's like, we're good. Like, we don't you're not going to need to be digging in on what I'm doing. Right. Um, I uh, I don't know what's going to happen with Bernie. I don't I don't know. I just I think I'm not, the, I'm mis, not, the, the, the misfire, the mischaracterization or whatever you want to phrase it, misjudging the Trump audience was one of the biggest misses so all I've I'm seen at, from the media in my entire is, life. Is it possible? We because think, of everything we just said, we should have probably more of an open We think about. Bernie's all crazy hippies. I don't think it's true. I don't think that's his audience. If you look at data on him, he's got older people. He's got coastal people. He's got Midwest people. I, I, I'm not, he's not somebody I would vote for. For me, anybody that demonizes wealth, I'm kind of out on. Bloomberg doesn't. Clinton's didn't. Obama didn't. Like if you if you if you come out and just say wealthy people, I'm not like I'm I'm I'll tell you just and it's not I would feel this way when I was broke. Uh, anybody that just starts saying all oh, this stuff should be free on top of everything else yeah. that people are being taxed for. Like when I didn't have any money and people were being taxed, I thought like, well, that doesn't make any sense. And I'm not talking about corporations. I'm not talking about Amazon. I'm talking about a guy that busts his ass that makes a lot of money. When I had none, I didn't want that. I'm the same way. Taxed. And so when I hear the, there's such fake, like I remember when Clinton ran because my father was self-employed. So this is early nineties. Uh, my father was self-employed, you know, a general contractor, but really more of like a guy doing decks and some additions, you know, it wasn't like he was running some massive, um, contracting company things picked up you know as, as i got older but i was already out of the household at that point and we didn't have health insurance we didn't have health insurance and i remember clinton's thing because it mattered to me it mattered because i wanted my dad to be able to provide and have health insurance for a family of what was it five at that point um where clinton was going to say with my first hundred days in office national health care plan all these different things and i was like oh well that's great like i want to vote for clinton and by the way it didn't happen right didn't happen and that's how i feel about uh and again, there's a counter to that. We'd be like, hey, if you're not going to have be able to afford health insurance for your family, you don't have as many kids. Right. <laughs> and that's that's how I felt about even friends of mine um, right. about anything when it comes to this kind of stuff. But whenever anybody goes, tuition is going to be free, national health care for everybody, and all these different things, I'm like, no, no, none of this shit is free. Like somebody's still going to pay for it. Right. And that's the kind of stuff that I think sounds great. And if your base is into it, but there's just so many other people that are going, what? Wait, well, that's not going to be free. Like, where's the math on colleges free now, forever? Like, yeah, and I think I, I think when Elizabeth Warren came out hot on that, I think people talked her off it. You have to be electable. I, I guess I come back to the same thing. I, I think the number one quality I look for in a candidate, if I think they're viable, is energy. Or do they have energy? And do they energize clearly a base? Obama did, Trump did, Bernie does. Now, I'm not saying Bernie will beat Trump. Doubt it if the economy's good. The incumbent wins, Trump will probably win. But when I look at a candidate, are you energized? Hillary was kind of a fatigued, apathetic campaigner, I thought. She was she, she was tired. She I think people were turned off by the idea that it felt like she was like, hey, now it's my turn. It was my turn. Right. It, it wasn't Obama's turn. I got screwed on that. Now it's my turn. So just name me president. And it was like, oh, well, that's how she campaigned yeah. the last six weeks. So that's she kind of disappeared. Felt. Right. And then she wrote the book and I read some of it and she blamed everybody else the entire time. I mean, if anybody listening to me right now, they're like, wait a minute, I can't figure out which side of this stuff is he on. I'm just I like people that are pro economy. And I'm very I think you and I are very aligned on this as far as the moral stuff. I couldn't be more liberal. Yeah, like, I'm the same I way. Just, I, don't, I don't I don't want anybody telling everybody how they're supposed to live. Their I'm lives. the same way. I, I don't really, I really. Did we do that? Was that any good? How long was this? Probably longer. I have my five questions, but I can't believe you and I actually Let's just Let's go really fast. Did. I'm ready now. Okay. All right. Here we go. Uh, who would you, 
least want to do a talk show with a social conservative. <laughs> That's not even hard. No, no, no. We got to get it. We, all a right, person? We'll, we'll be, we'll be, yeah, yeah. We'll be positive. First. Well, I don't want to do, if you could do a radio show with anybody five days a week. I could do it with somebody. Yeah, you can. So we'll make it a positive one first. And then I'll, yeah. then we'll, we'll, if I, I started positive. Oh boy, that's, that's a good question. I you shouldn't ha have a co-host, first of all. Yeah. So I, it would be, I think it would be funny to do a one show with Chris Russo because he is so. That'd be weird to see you be beta around him. <laughs> <laughs> he's just, to me, because I drive home and I listen to him. He's he, your guy? You're a big well, mad no, dog guy just, still, huh? I, I think he does a good job. He does. It, it's an old style radio show with a lot of baseball and a lot of calls. A lot of baseball. Yeah. A lot of baseball, a lot of calls. But I think it would be funny to do a show because I would be laughing during the show because he gets so apoplectic and he's so emotional. I think it would be funny to do a show with him for a day. But, you know, we would we would wear each other out. You can't give me a name. You can't give me somebody who you I'm like. I'm not going to criticize. Anybody. I don't think you and Gottlieb would be a good show together. No. <laughs> We'd barely be a good lunch together. <laughs> um, if you weren't doing this, like, hey. A law was passed. Too many takes. You can't be on the air anymore. <laughs> Twenty Some years law. of takes. Twenty that years. That sounds like it comes from a social conservative. <laughs> you. What do you do? You can't retire. You have to do something. Um, I think I'm kind of analytical. I would get. I'd do stocks. I'd probably be a broker. I would. I'm good at stacking and the way my. I'm. I like data and analytical stuff and statistics. And I do you. Yeah. I think you're too goofy for that. I. Well, I am goofy. Uh, yeah. You're I'd too be, creative. And I don't see. You just named like John D. Rockefeller. I don't. <laughs> I don't see you that way. I'd be his dysfunctional son, uh, Barry. If you were single, no kids, your age, your career, your money platform, what would you be like? Oh, I don't think I'd be nearly as good. I think my wife totally softens me up. Yeah, I think I need to be humbled. She humbles me every day. I think I'm a way better talk show host with kids. I'm way more vulnerable. I'm way more insecure. You know, I have bad night's sleep. Uh, I think my family makes me more likable and relatable. I mean, who wants rich single guy? That's obnoxious. They want me to go through the Take same crap they're going through. Their wife's yelling at them. <laughs> And my wife yells at me enough. So it's like, oh, um, you just shit on me there a little bit. Um, you think you'll ever go back to ESPN? Oh, God, no. God, no. That's, it doesn't even appeal to me in a million years. It's nothing against the people. It's no, God, no. First of all, I think it would hurt. This will sound so corny. I have friends at Fox. That would be an awful thing to do to them. It would be a terrible thing to do. I gave my career to them. They opened their arms to me. There was no way I could, I think I would damage friendships. I would hurt feelings. I am all in on Fox. I'll go to Fox into retirement. Or if there became some sort of OTT where, you know, I'm 65 and I just want to do one hour a day. I create an app or something, whatever it's called in 20 years. There's no way. It, and this is not a shot at them. Like I did it. I'm over it. I have no interest. This is the perfect corporation for me in my life. And I, and I think I would, it would be a dereliction of almost loyalty or duty to go back. It would hurt people. And I can't do that. Does that sound corny? I can't do that. No, it sounds honest. So I just could not do that. That's good. Uh, I appreciate this, man. I really do. And I, I appreciate, uh, you know, it's always funny when guys are kind of like, who's that new young guy? And I'm like, oh, that cow herd's at it again. 
And, you know, like the on-air guys, like we don't. You always had this feeling about me. I have never had this feeling about you. You shouldn't have had any feeling about me. I'm simply saying that, like, I was a young guy when I finally had the first position. I, I liked had, you from day which one. Was ten, which was 10 years ago. Yeah. And you had been there, I don't know how many years prior to me being there, but I, I don't, there was never like, oh, I don't like that guy, but I was such a sports nerd that anytime I'd hear him be like, oh, you know, but that's, that's the way it works. Cause I'll have young guys now be like, oh, you, you think, you know, Cleveland Cavs rotation, like Darius Garland doesn't even come in there, you know, and you're just like, oh, okay. Uh, there's always a youthful angst and being from the Northeast, yes. which I know, and you've, you've rided me on that and be like, Hey, lose a little of the, yeah, I've told the you. Northeast soften a bit. Yes. And I'm really glad that we've become, you know, or you can be, when I say, hey, you know, somebody asked me, about you, like, he's my friend. Yes, absolutely. You're great. I've always rooted for you. Um, I know you have. You've been I, awesome to me. Yeah, no, no. I've And, and you've been great to me. I I, um, I feel really lucky. You know, it, it's what's cool about this business, and this will sound cliched, but I've told Jason McIntyre, I've told Gottlieb and Nick Wright, like I have hit the clubhouse, I grabbed a Michelob light, it's the back nine. Like I know... This is the back nine. I really do think about this all the time. I don't want to be older broadcaster who treats young guys like shit. I want to be out of rooms and guys like Gottlieb, Nick Wright, you and McIntyre go, he did a solids. Like he went to the bosses for us. It does matter to me. It does. I know it's vain. I know it's legacy and that's all vanity. I get it. But it does matter. It does matter that when I'm gone, you know, and they ask you and he's like, he was a good dude. He was in my corner. Like that matters. Cause you know why it matters? Cause guys were in my corner. Like I had people locally that, that went to bat for me. There's no way a guy from Portland should have gotten the job to replace Tony Kornheiser. That's not the way the game it works. It would never happen now. Ever. And I tell everybody what I did would never happen at ESPN now. Oh, this guy's that out of work. 50 and do afternoons. <laughs> <laughs> no, but grind and work your way up. You don't get the radio slot anymore unless you've already proven yourself somewhere yes. else. There's no, hey, learn it on the job. And yours is more impressive than me. And that's not conceding. It's, it's just, it's the facts of what it was, is that you were, they would never, ever, like when, after you left, Lebetard was in place. They moved Lebetard around. They moved some of these pieces around. They would never do that where I, I can't, like, I'm, I, it never's a long time, but it's just not the way the industry works anymore, where it's like, we'd rather have you not even be capable of doing it but if you're a big enough a name and you came from tv right. here's your two years of seeing if you can figure out how to do this radio show and that's it and then i don't even know like i don't even know if radio is the, the play in in another five years i don't well i think audio this is audio audio sure audio is great traditional radio or there will it go so podcast heavy that somebody will in five years be able to say hey you know what'd be nice is a live audio lineup <laughs> reacting to stuff in real time as news happens. I, I think be, there will be a pendulum thing. I think as, as heavy as this podcast thing is, the live reaction thing of a daily lineup is not going to disappear. I, I've heard people say it before. It's like, you know, when people say stuff dies, I did stop reading. I stopped getting a newspaper delivered to my house. I did. Like I did. It was just, in, it would be in the yard. I lived in Portland. It would be all wet. I'm like, this is. And I used to live for the newspaper. Oh, I, see, same I couldn't. I Only couldn't. time now is a plane. I grab the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal. I go on a plane and I sit and I read them. And that's what I love about the Delta Sky Club is I go, I grab an Boom. economist. That's what I, I do. Never read it and put it in my bag. But radio, I've never given up on. I listen to it every day. 
or, or audio. I listen all the time and people are like, oh, you know, do you listen to Will Kane? I go, yeah, because I like Will. I don't always agree with him. Yeah. It does too many cowboy segments, but yeah. I like the guy, even if I disagree with him all this stuff, because I still like I didn't get when I left. It was a exhale. It was like, oh, so I could turn. I was listening to guys the next week no, in I, my slot. I, I was like, I'm cool. I sample stuff all the time. I mean, I, 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 all the time, I'm just like, who's this? My, my listening show, uh, Broussard and Rob Parker do a nighttime show on Fox Sports Radio. It is in my time slot where I'm in my car. So I go to the club, I come home. I think they did a really good job. I think they're a classic radio show. Crazy idea and like centrist, like Broussard's more, bro, come down. Rob's like highly emotional. But I don't listen to steal a take. But there are guys, if you have good energy, I'm in. Like if you're, if you're selling something, I was listening to some host today. He was just selling the hell out of a topic. I was like, it's pretty good. Eight minutes. I don't even know if he was right. I don't know what his name was. <laughs> yeah, but see, that's but the he difference. Was selling is you the can, hell out of it. Yeah. You'll listen for his approach. Yes. Then you will his conclusion. Yeah. Because that's, that's your thing. That's you being are, a parent. You are better every day in and out. As much as I've disagreed with you over the years, but that's not what matters. You are better at bringing the energy and finding a way to execute a day better than anybody I've ever been around. I think we should end right there. I, mean, I don't think, I think we should. We would, When's we your show on again? I'm just kidding. Fox Sports <laughs> 1, it's very popular. <laughs> Thank you. You bet. All right, I hope you enjoyed that. We covered a lot of stuff. Uh, Cowherd will be somebody we'll have on multiple times. That was not one and done. And make sure you subscribe. Tell everyone to subscribe to the Ryan Russillo Show podcast. Rate and review it. And check back in with us on Thursday at Craig Kilborn in studio. Mm-hmm.